1: Life assumes nudity. One day you may get rushed to the ER where they strip your clothes off your body. One day you may have to take care of your parents who are elderly and can't take care of themselves. I wrote this paper. I gave it to my board at the end of a board meeting. So then I said, well, guys, I just have to, I want you to know something. For the last year, Judy and I have been going to clothing optional places and it's been an amazing experience. So we told a person who was a pastor, and he then took it to the non-denominational denomination. I was asked to resign from a national board I was on. And to this day, here we are 20-some years later, the Christian church in America has a hard time saying it's okay to be nude in a social setting. In fact, they'll never say it. It starts with just taking that leap.
2: Man, you have to work hard. You have to be
3: incredibly smart.
2: Choose something that even if it fails, if it fails you are yeah. going to be proud of. It. it doesn't matter how badly you got beaten. Down. Be kind, be kind, be kind.
1: Become a better person, a better leader, a better business. Go with your
3: <laughs> I'm Samuel Donner, and this is Finding Founders. This is the sixth episode of our subculture series. Here, we've been diverging from the mainstream and exploring communities that aren't as fringe as you might think. You'll soon find how others seek acceptance and companionship in places you may never have expected. At the top of the episode, you heard from Jeff and Judy Bowman talking about the trauma that ensued as their church learned about a seemingly odd immersion into clothing optional communities. Whether or not you're religious or a practicing Christian, acceptance of clothing-optional lifestyles is far from universal, and the backlash from Jeff and Judy's peers was immense and heartbreaking. But before we get there, and how they had to lose a community to find a new one, I first want to begin with a simpler, happier moment, when the two met for the first time. To start off, can you paint
0: me a picture of where you were when you first met each other?
2: Sure. We both went to a Christian college in Grand Rapids, Michigan, from completely different backgrounds. I'm a Chicago girl. He's a California boy. And our first conversation that I remember was debating something in a class, and he squashed me in about 10 seconds.
0: (laughs) Do you remember what it was, Jeff? Uh,
1: It was a a theological class. Uh, It was a Bible college, and it dealt with varying different religions and their belief.
2: This one was on Calvinism. How much has God preordained was going to happen, which is how I was raised. And Jeff was taught, we have free will everywhere, and God doesn't orchestrate every detail of our life.
1: Well, we were a non-denominational group.
2: But it's within that denomination there is both parties.
1: There's Calvinism, and the normal contrary view is Arminianism. Called free will. But then there's a third view that is what I as- ascribe to and still do, and that God, it's open. It's like God is with us in time. Time exists because God exists, it's concurrent with us, whatever it is. So, picking up in that class is where I met Jude, the comparative religion class.
2: And then Thanksgiving break was coming up. I lived 200 miles away. I was going home for Thanksgiving for the four-day weekend. Jeff was thousands of miles from home. And we were friends by this time. And I said, what are you doing for Thanksgiving? And he didn't have any plans. I said, come home with me.
0: Jeff, when she asked that, did that seem like anything?
1: Oh, it was awesome. <laughs> and, you know, and I had no my, you know, and in this Did point. you just want to take, because I had a vehicle and you had no other way to I get home. I had no home. other way
2: to get home. I needed a ride is what I
0: needed.
1: <laughs> but, you know, I was glad because she's a cute girl and still is a cute woman. And that, you know. And I
2: told my parents, I said, we're not dating. I'm not marrying this guy. He's <laughs> just a friend. We're coming home for Thanksgiving. Is that Okay. So, yeah, anyway, so then he told me on that weekend that he liked me more than just a friend and it freaked me out. And I didn't know what to do with that, but eventually I decided I liked him, too.
3: The two were on pretty common footing in college. Judy was comfortable believing what she was taught while Jeff was always ready to challenge existing interpretations. And I think it's because their beliefs differed that they were able to grow spiritually, intellectually and romantically. As a couple, they moved to Colorado just as the Jesus movement was sweeping the West Coast. For those of you who don't know, amid the 60s and early 70s, between moon landings and Cold War politics, there was a theological revival. Amidst a rapidly changing and uncertain world, many believed Christianity was needed so we could return to the basics and simple living. A
1: lot of uh, Vietnam vets came back from the war and a lot of hippies uh, all searching for things. They realized first war is is not good uh especially that the vietnam war uh, was horrible the the vets were treated badly when they came home and then the hippies you know you have the, the 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 drug culture and and things and trying to find fulfillment in life and along came the jesus movement and said come to jesus he'll set you free
2: and there's also along with that is a sense of acceptance and community so a place to belong
1: yeah so Jude to summarize was raised in it I was not and so she had an edge that she knew all the things and I had an edge that I didn't and they were both good things that I could question and things that she would never think of of
3: questioning. Jeff and Judy wanted to take their knowledge and understanding of religion and share it with these growing crowds of new believers. they would find just what they needed in a small church in Colorado.
2: Um, By this time we were just gotten married because we got married a year and a half into school. Wow. So we got married young. Christians move
0: fast. We do (laughs)
2: because you can't have sex till you're married. Right. (laughs) But this was like March or April of our second year in school. And by that summer we moved to Colorado.
1: And we were there for three years uh, where I helped our main mentor, Bob, Uh, He had a little church that was growing, and we, along with about six other young couples, kind of brought the church back to life.
0: I don't think that religion is, is necessary to build those kinds of communities, right? But there's something about religion that makes it easier to build those communities and make those communities sticky and sustainable. What do you think that unifying factor was?
2: Because of my temperament and the way I was raised, I really like having a box that I know this is truth. I can be comfortable in there. I can move around in my box a little bit, but I'm really uncomfortable being inside my box and knowing that I'm in the right place. So I think that's even in society today. There's a lot of people who are very comfortable in the box that they have and they can't even And I couldn't at the time even think about asking a question that could make everything crumble.
1: Yeah, I would say inherently the same. Um, And then I would take the observation a little further. And we want to know that we matter to ourselves as humans. And when you have the God quotient there, um, where you feel a power bigger than you is accepting you and caring for you uh, and leading you and that your leaders are following God, Uh, Then now you have a power that's more than, let's say, a civic group. And I think we're seeing this actually in our country right now being played out where the far right is saying, you know, God's on our side. we got to do these, these, this and that. And of course, that's always been. But poor God has been used to start wars and to to fight fights that. You know, God would be saying, hey, man, I never said that. Um, I want you just to love one another and get your sense of significance and self-worth from human love to one another.
0: What was the actual action that you took to build it up besides word of mouth? And what did it look like when it was humming? And also, what year was this?
1: This would have been 1974. Uh, the church uh, there...
2: Uh, well, our mentor, our mentor became the new pastor there, and he goes in there and finds a whole lot of people who are very comfortable with their box and the way things are, and he's got new ideas and wants to grow and make some changes, and it wasn't very well received.
1: Which is typical of any civic group, you know, religious or non-religious, It's it's the... Uh, people inherently fight change uh, because they're comfortable with it. But then our mentor gets to this church We get there, another couple of other young couples, we brought in some new music, we brought in guitars to the worship service.
0: you're You're basically modernizing this community.
1: Precisely.
0: And
2: making it more relational instead of, it's more than just coming and sitting in the pew on Sunday morning and singing the songs and going home. We were actually doing more of a personal ministering to people in the community and to one another.
1: We all had a purpose of evangelizing the, the, the people that came into our world. One of the fellows who became a good friend of mine uh, was an ex-biker. We're talking like Hell's Angels level, and he was a, a VP. And he uh, came to know Jesus now and revived himself, and he had to leave the biker world. And we were holding a Bible study in our house. And uh, he rode his Harley, a custom Harley that he had built. And uh, you could hear it a mile away. And he he pulled in and uh, he was shaking. He goes, something's going to happen. I go, well, what's going on? Uh, He goes, I drove past a house that had my former gang members there. And they saw me. And they're going to come and want to talk to me, I know. Because you cannot get out of these clubs without something drastic so sure enough uh, two guys showed up at our door the bible study was at our house and uh i was shaking and this is the real deal these these are not fakers they were the real guys what are you doing here and they asked uh my friend and you know, well we're gonna have a bible study and i chimed and i said yeah we're gonna have a bible study do you know jesus and I've started trying to get them to be uh, saved and things like that. And, you know, they- Bold. <laughs> and, well, you know, I had to go with the best strength I knew I had at the time. And, and that is that message at that time. So as it turns out, they got tired of hearing it and they walked away. And afterwards I asked, you know, they had their, their vests on and I said, what did that patch mean? He said that, well, that was a gang rape. What does that patch mean? And he would, he described the patches that these guys were wearing. So we were serious about changing lives. And I had no fear of wanting to tell these guys that that way is not the right way to go. So, and that was my motivation. And I think that was a galvanizing thing for me.
3: Jeff and Judy would move from Colorado to New Jersey to help grow a new congregation, and they were incredibly successful. In two years, they grew up from 15 people to over 100 people. But eventually, Jeff and Judy would move to California, where burgeoning developments in the computing industry would kick off the tech boom of the 1980s. Jeff would join the ranks of Toshiba.
1: While I entered the computer world, I still kept my, my, my faith world, my uh, Christian world at the time, And at that time, I decided to go back to school and get my master's degree in theology and while working in the computer industry. I complete that. We then put our resume out to find another church, and we found one in uh, Central Cal. And we were two weeks away from moving when...
2: I had been going to the doctor just kind of catching up the kids. We have four kids by then making sure their immunizations are caught up. So it's like, okay, what else can we get done? Let me get my female test done. And by the way, doc, I'm 38 years old. Let me get a mammogram. And he goes, well, you're 38, but all right, we'll do it. And that mammogram found that I had breast cancer.
0: Wow. And that was in 1992, correct?
2: 92.
1: Yep. And we were literally, I had given.
2: We were 10 days away from moving.
0: Do you remember what it was like to hear that news? Oh,
2: it was pretty unbelievable. It's like, no, this can't be right. And it
0: we absolutely were was.
2: We were packing. I mean, half our house was in boxes. Jeff had told his bosses at Toshiba that he was leaving, but he hadn't given his formal HR notice. Um, we were just about to sign deals to rent our house out, to rent a house up in Monterey. And go to the doctor and it's like, well, guess not.
1: I, when I heard the news, I said, stop packing, Judy. We're not going to be moving.
2: Because in those days, especially if you've got a pre-existing condition, no one's going to sell yeah. you health insurance. And so we were kind of handcuffed.
1: Yeah. And i not wanting to get political, but you could probably guess, those of you that are listening to this podcast, <laughs> that we were on the far right of things in a political sense. and. It was at this time that I think uh, Bill Bill Clinton was president, and Hillary wanted to have universal health care. She started talking about it.
2: Hello, this is Hillary Clinton.
1: The message is simple. It's time to bring about fundamental change, control our nation's soaring health care costs, and provide security for American families again for the first time that far right view that I had was challenged in a very real way, because now, as Judy said, I was handcuffed to the computer industry because of her breast cancer. And of course her, her health is more important than anything for me.
0: And I, I want to talk about the process of of going through these medical treatments and, and, and even like the mammogram itself, like, how are, are you feeling with all of these? Cause like, Jeff, there's nudity.
1: Exactly. That was a challenge for me because my belief system at the time was uh, that I considered it to be biblical, that only, uh, only I could see my wife naked. And because everything was filtered through, is it biblical? That was my mantra. Is this something found in the Bible? Well, you don't ever find people going to the doctor to in the Bible that was a change for my honey and um, then my own personal self it's like what about nudity and doctors and then I thought about what about nudity and art Michelangelo the great you know sculptor uh, art in in general And so my brain was going and going, and it took me about four years of solid, four to six years of solid study to come to the conclusion that God doesn't care if people are naked. And that was my thought at that time.
2: And then at the same time, my father and his father, Jeff's father, both became ill and we had periods of time where we took care of them from wiping their butts, to bathing, to seeing their naked body, and neither of us had ever seen our fathers naked.
1: And then I thought, why is that that way? Why, you know, and, you know, of course, we know what happens. We just give them over to healthcare people, and we can kind of wash our hands. No pun intended about washing, but, you know, we can just say, it's your job because I'm too uncomfortable. I don't want to see my... But we
2: knew that that was okay. We knew it was all right. It was the right thing to do to take care of our parents, even if it meant seeing their nakedness but why
0: yeah
2: where is that provision where's that
0: in the biblical text like how do you how do you i guess validate these things that you know to be true with an outside source
1: right and that was our that was my constant quest is it biblical for everything
0: And I remember you saying yesterday, it was like, it, we knew that it wasn't necessarily wrong, but like, right, why but, wasn't it wrong? Right, like the, right. the, the mantra that you had was like,
1: is, is it biblical? You know, and we were trying to frame our life in light of the Bible.
0: As you're coming to terms with, uh, okay, like, what does nudity mean to you? How do you explore those concepts and ideas in
1: more depth? Well, it led me to literally looking at the text. And uh, the first account of humans and the story in Genesis is that, you know, God created uh, Adam and he created then Eve from Adam, the side of Adam. Um, And he brought him to the garden. And, you know, the text goes also on to say that you can eat of anything, but the tree of knowledge of good and evil don't eat of it. Um, and then the temptation comes, eat of the tree, says the, the devil or the serpent. And the narrative says that they ate. Then their eyes were opened, the text says, and they knew good and evil. There was no evil to be seen. It hadn't happened yet. So they saw only the goodness of their bodies. But I was just grappling with the narrative and the idea of well, see, they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They saw their nudity was bad. And so they hid themselves from God and put fig leaves on. And the more I pondered that, I thought, no, wait a minute. They didn't see evil bodies because the bodies weren't proclaimed to be good. They, I believe, couldn't handle the good. Now hmm. their knowledge of good and evil is the present and or awareness in such a way that they were ashamed of the good and the good shamed him. And then I reflected in my life how many times good things are hard to handle for people. We have folks that don't want to get anywhere close to anything emotional because it's too powerful. Uh, And I mean, in a good way. And that's what I, how I came to understand the passage. So I think, the clothes were put on adam and eve as uh, an act of grace on god's part they couldn't handle this new knowledge of good
3: okay so the idea of being nude in front of a doctor like maybe i'm a little uncomfortable with it but it's for your health right <laughs> However, with their deeply religious values, Jeff and Judy had to put the idea under enormous consideration and scrutiny. When is nudity a sin? Is it at all, and where does it say so in the Bible? At such a pivotal moment in both their lives, the nudity question began to reframe not just their view of nudity, but their whole worldview. It was a revelation, or maybe it was temptation. At this point, I'm not really sure they completely knew. I can't conceive of the internal conflict that was writhing through them. Like, imagine being hired to teach and even preach the lessons and guidelines that you were raised with, that you wholeheartedly believe that drive your moral compass, and then imagine suddenly doubting those beliefs, at least partially. How could you just do your job? Even if Jeff and Judy's experiences with clothing optional life seemed right, even correct, the prospect of change can be a dangerous thing especially in such a structured, ordered, and literally by-the-book thing as Christianity. Jeff and Judy had already stepped out of their comfort zone, and they would plunge further still into the depths of the unknown.
0: And so you have this top-level view. How does that, that theoretical and philosophical view translate into action?
1: Isaiah, the prophet in the Old Testament was told by God to warn the nation of Israel and to do so, he would go around naked Hmm. preaching. Hmm. So if. Wait, really? Yeah. Oh, yes. yeah (laughs) Absolutely. For three years. So their clothes were valuable. And so when they worked, they would work naked. And then it was my beloved wife who came up with the phrase, life assumes nudity. And that was something that our world didn't have. So I studied it and studied it for six years, whatever. I finally said, we've got to go and try a clothing optional thing. And her reply was,
2: no, no, never, never. Uh, uh, uh. (laughs) Uh-uh-uh.
1: After two years, she finally relented because, yeah, two years. She had to put up with me saying, come on, honey, let's try it.
2: Then he goes, okay, well, oh, okay, we're, uh, okay. do you want to go to a big place? Do you want to go to a beach? Do you want to go to a large resort? And it's like, I don't really want to do this at all. You know me, so I'm going to trust you to pick the environment for our first experience. So we found a place in Palm Springs.
1: In typical fashion, I like to be early to things. We pull up to the front of the place and I said, well, you know, we're an hour early. And I said, maybe there, our room is ready. Maybe they'll let us in. And she goes, oh, I I don't know if I can do that. And I went in and said, um, you know, we're Jeff and Judy Bowman. We're here to check in. Well, your room is ready. And I said, okay, well, we're not sure we want to come in yet. But um, so I went out to the car and the first thing Judy said to me,
2: did you see naked
3: people?
1: (laughs) (laughs) And I said, well, yes, the gal behind the counter was topless and I could see through into the the, the the common area of the resort they were naked people but we still didn't come in right then we, no, we did
2: I think we did uh, I think we did. Sure, yeah, okay. I think we I'll tell my version <laughs> of the story I think we did come in and we checked in and they showed us to our room and it's like I just have to get this over with let's just do it let's just go in the room take our clothes off and walk outside so we did that nobody even noticed us and we just went out and had a lovely i think we just did one night is how we wanted to do they usually had a two night minimum but we got a one night one nighter and it was lovely
3: going to a clothing optional events for anyone is nerve-wracking and very much an out-of-the-box experience and i can speak from experience because i remember my first nude experience back at lupin lodge only a couple weeks ago There was uncertainty, like when do you take off your clothes? What will people think? What will I think? I'd say I grew up in a pretty open environment, but in the rigidity of fundamentalist beliefs, I can only imagine that it made it a lot more difficult. This was no small feat for a pastor and his wife. This was a leap of faith, even a leap into faith. With Jeff's insatiable curiosity and Judy's commitment to their love, the deeper they explored nudity, the more they discovered that this, this was only the beginning.
0: How did it compare against what you thought it would be both of you? I'm wondering like the the expectation versus the reality of it.
1: The expectation exceeded the camaraderie that we noticed among people. Wow, we're talking to folks we've never met before. I mean, we've gone to hotels before to sat in a hot tub with bathing suits on and nobody says a word. But in a clothing optional setting, People open up. As a pastor at that time, I was very intrigued with the openness of the people.
2: I knew though that it would be okay for me, and I knew it would be transformational for Jeff. It turned out to be warm and welcoming and comfortable.
0: That like warmth and uh, uh, like welcoming atmosphere. Like, what do you think it is about nudity as a filter for community that makes it such a good proxy for vulnerability?
2: I think one of the factors is that you already have something in common and you already are of a certain kind of mindset where you're not on the body, you're not hung up on, I don't even know how to describe it, but you've already got that in common.
1: The clothing object community has all backgrounds and people tend to then be more kind in their conversation because they're hanging with somebody that is definitely maybe not of their tribe, but yet they're part of the clothing optional tribe. So there is this oneness that, as Judy said, the thing in common.
2: Actually, what happened next is that Jeff, because of his research, realized half a dozen places within driving distance that we could go to. So that's kind of what we started doing with hopping around. And then we eventually found Glen Eden Sun Club in Corona, which kind of became our home base. We would go there most often.
0: So you 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 were you were diving into the community, right? You were visiting all of these different places,
1: right? Right. Yeah, and my my analytical self, my curious self, was enjoying the whole experience because I we got to see how other how other businesses ran their business and and the common threads among the people that visited.
2: one interesting reaction is we would talk to people you say what do you do for a living blah 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 jeff said i'm a pastor and they go what are you doing here
1: (laughs) and i would say the same thing you're doing (laughs) here enjoying this unnatural environment and i'll tell you all of a sudden more people started coming to our church who were from the calling optional community and that was interesting me, my personality type is, I like to share the good news. I like to say, this is this is the coolest thing. We've met cool people, I had wonderful friendships being built, a community outside of our other community. That led me to uh, write a paper called Good Nudity. And it gives this
3: a seminal, a core basis for the concept. From Toshiba's director to back as a pastor for the Anaheim Christian Group to connoisseurs of clothing optional events, the unfamiliar territory that Jeff and Judy stepped into toward better, more natural living was becoming a physical and spiritual sanctuary. What sticks out to me is Judy's realism in the midst of all this. Even though Jeff was the one to push the needle for their first clothing optional event, Judy was still skeptical. She was like, you know, feeling her way through it. But then when she finally allowed herself to step out of the past and the beliefs that had defined her till now, she realized what a safe space she had entered into. It goes to show that it's okay to be uncomfortable taking new steps. It's actually usually a sign that you're growing and that discomfort is actually a sign of growth. But with every chance you take at something good, every effort towards becoming the best version of you, there are things you'll need to let go of. For Jeff and Judy, it was the thing that had been the biggest part of their lives, for a long, long time.
0: I imagine as you maybe told more people about this, that like did did anyone in your church community begin to get upset with the choices you were making outside of that community?
2: We had told our kids and the kids, you can't hear us something like that and not tell your best friend. So our kids told their best friends and a few people in the church who were really close to us knew. So that's where he, we were afraid that it would bubble up.
1: Yes. And so I wrote the paper, Good Nudity, that didn't say, hey, by the way, we're going to call the optional places. But it laid the foundation that life assumes nudity, that one day you may get rushed to the ER where they strip your clothes off your body so that they can see what's going on with you. One day you may have to take care of your parents who are elderly and can't take care of themselves I wrote this paper I gave it to my board at the end of a board meeting so then I said well guys I just have to what I want you to know something for the last year Judy and I have been going to clothing optional places and it's been an amazing experience and one of my younger leaders said to me uh, he goes how can you not be aroused by seeing all these females and lust and I said that's a great question. And my answer was, it's no different whether they're clothed or unclothed. Our culture says clothed is your eyes are protected, which is absolutely not true. <laughs> anyway, we talked about it. And I said, brother, why don't you and your wife come with us and you'll see exactly what I'm talking about. And then he said, I already asked her and she doesn't want to. Go <laughs> and that was pretty much how it died. It died in that context. Anyway, fast forward some time. So we told a person who was a pastor and he then took it to the non-denominational denomination. I was asked to resign from a national board I was on and I said, no problem, I understand. I I knew that it would be hard for them to take. And to this day, here we are 20-some years later, the Christian church in America has a hard time saying it's okay to be nude in a social setting. In fact, they'll never say it because it is such a culturally ingrained thing. Yet members of all the denominations that we've ever talked with find themselves in colonial optional places.
0: How, how did that feel to have a community that you had been such like an integral part of say, we don't want you here anymore?
2: It was devastating. It was probably the toughest. I could cry right now.
1: And there was a little clause in the church constitution that says, the pastor must be an ordained man. And with my ordination unilaterally revoked by this one person, They came to me on a Thursday night, the old elder, and said, Jeff, you're gone, and you're not to come to church on Sunday. And I said, well, what sin do you accuse me of? And, well, we can't go there, Jeff. And of course, there is no verse that says, thou shalt not be naked.
0: Was there ever a moment where you regretted being part of this, like, social nudity community?
1: For me, never. Not even a second.
2: Yes and no. I knew there was nothing wrong with it. I really mourned the loss of the community that I had been in my entire life, that we had given financially and blood, sweat, and tears, and time and energy and our family and everything, to. That felt very hurtful. But what it did is... Really grew my picture of who God is.
1: It, the whole thing blew up. We then huddled the next Sunday, you know, and, uh, at our house, and we huddled again the next Sunday, and I said to the people, I said, "Would you like to start up a little church?" And so we did. and it was, it was a, a church for a healing for all of us, a transition.
2: Anybody coming to the church would be assumed, guilt by association, that they must also be nudists. The Christian church is a generation or two behind the world in acceptance. There's hope, maybe, that this is something that can be moved along. Even the gay and lesbian question, they're much more accepted in churches now, not totally, but they're much more accepted in churches now than they were 20 years ago.
3: If nothing else, history teaches us that representation and accurate information leads people to reconsider their beliefs. And Christians are no exception. Acceptance of previously taboo or rejected things like divorce, homosexuality, and natural bodies is still quite low. But acceptance is way more widespread than it's ever been. And increases in acceptance have been on the rise everywhere. Just look at homosexuality. Between 2007 and 2015, the percentage of Americans who were accepting of homosexuality rose from 49 to 64%. Now, according to a 2019 survey, it's actually at 72%. And with that rise across the nation, the average percent across Christian denominations rose from 44 to 54%. But this changing of hearts and minds, it's still slow going, especially in the church. And I imagine this was hard because Jeff and Judy's community just wasn't willing to see any reason behind their choice to accept a clothing optional lifestyle, whether their arguments were founded in personal experience or in reading from scripture. The experience of having to leave their church was heartbreaking, crushing, but with every end comes a new beginning. We realized that the
1: church is not ready, so we had to do something. As we we had gone to clothing optional places, we said, hey, we could do this to to ourselves because we've always been people of hospitality. And for fun, we started looking at properties.
0: Judy, what did you think about these dreams?
2: I'm more the realist, but I'm also the follower. And it sounded intriguing. I knew it was something that we could do.
1: And uh, we started looking at Palm Springs. And so we thought, all right, no problem. But we still held our breath. So we we bought the Kismet Lodge property, closed escrow, went to the city hall. And then we we saw the mayor and the vice mayor. And we had already started going to uh, Chamber of Commerce meetings because we wanted people to know us. We didn't want this to backfire. So as it turns out, the mayor and the vice mayor, I, I said, oh, by the way, Living Water Spa is going to be clothing optional.
2: And we're trembling. It's like, oh, uh, yeah, what are they, they going to say? say?
1: And the mayor said, oh, you're going to do great. Just like the ones in Palm Springs, right? And I go, yes, <laughs> just like the ones in Palm Springs. And uh, as it turns out, uh, they accepted us. There's not even a blink. And uh, we opened up Living Water Spa.
2: We notified a lot of our friends, a lot of our, mostly our clothing optional friends. And we said, hey, if you come up and give us some time in the month of October or come up for a weekend or whatever you can give us, we'll feed you. We'll put a mattress on the floor for you to sleep on. And when we open, you'll get free nights commensurate with us. So we were gifted over 600 man hours of work
1: it blew our mind and so we're continuing to work we're continuing to work and work on rooms and we finally got a booking for the second weekend of november
3: like a barn raising of old constructing jeff and judy's new spa became an opportunity to come together and seeing everyone come out to help them build that's what it was really all about for jeff and judy My question is, where was that sense of community, that sense of acceptance, that sense of helping thy neighbor when they were at their previous church? It was there maybe initially, but definitely not on the way out. But it was here with friends, many subscribing to the Clothing Optional Lifestyle, who came together to help Jeff and Judy turn their dream into reality. And before they knew it, they were on the cusp of opening for business.
0: There was a site that made things a little bit easier you tell me a little bit about your experiences with TripAdvisor.
1: Yes, TripAdvisor. First of all, we didn't know anything about it until one of our guests were leaving and they said, oh, we're going to write you a five-star review on TripAdvisor. I go, what the heck is TripAdvisor? And then I realized it was a fairly new platform and um, they seem to be getting their act together and helping customers give candid reviews on what was good or what was bad. So we signed up and it became a a very helpful tool. Um, It was also a challenge in many ways, but the helpful tool was that we got clothing optional recognized as a viable holiday or vacation experience. And, you know, it was just amazing. However, that one of the drawbacks of TripAdvisor was that people really liked it and they would go, Oh, here's number one, we'll take it. Book, we learned that people don't read what you're about. And I think we had one experience where they show up and they think, "What well, are people naked here? They didn't even know that we were coding optional.
0: What was the reaction? I want to hear
1: the reaction of like this it's optional so they didn't get naked but they were surrounded by naked people and they were uncomfortable and so from that point on we really screamed oh you know i found you on TripAdvisor. great isn't that wonderful thank you for calling us did you notice that we're a clothing optional hotel oh yeah 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 i said no did you really understand that people are here naked what naked without a bathing suit i go yes without a bathing suit
2: And then it's men and women together because they can understand that, you know, okay, I can go to a spa and it's all women or all men, but.
1: Mm -hmm. So we got really adept at helping people know more.
3: Something I wondered, like, is it really too much to ask that one be aware that they might see a naked body or two after they've booked a stay at a spa and hotel that advertises itself as clothing optional? Uh, Apparently so. But that's what they got when everybody went clamoring to book after living water spas through the roof ratings on TripAdvisor. While they had clearly found the community right for them in their new clothing optional lives, Jeff and Judy quickly learned that a successful business would mean getting the right community to find them. And once they found that community, they dove deeper into hospitality. They even became licensed massage therapists to give their guests a deeper experience. Judy gave a massage to a gal
1: and there there was a an interviewer there from uh, clothesfree.com. He went to the gal who was just sitting by the table. He said, explain what happened in the massage. What happened to you? She goes, oh, it was amazing. And she starts crying. And he goes, well, what kind of a massage was it? She goes, I don't know, but it was a Judy massage.
2: And then we had a gal who came Several times she was massage therapist as well, and we sometimes we would ex- just exchange massages with other therapists. And then she calls one day and she goes, "You know, the doctor found a lump in my breast, and turned out she had breast cancer. It was fairly well advanced. As the process went on later on, I gave her a massage, and at one point." Her physical state was such that she couldn't even lay on comfortably on the massage table if she because it was, it was killing her. And so we just kind of floated her in the water and moved her body and helped her have some comfort there. So what we did was not a typical, I'm going to check you in my hotel, I'll see you when you leave we made ourselves available let's say it that way we made ourselves available to the guest on whatever level that they were at if they wanted to sit and talk we'll sit and talk with them all day long
1: and one guy was going in for surgery and she was absolutely petrified of the surgery and the doctor says well do you have a happy place you can go to in your mind and she said yes floating in the big pool at living water spa and looking up at the palm trees so she said and i did that and, and i and i made it through the surgery and it's like you, you never know you know
2: we talked to we knew all the other hotel owners in town we had our association we met once a month and became friends with many of them
0: classic jeff and judy always that's us
2: um And we made a comment about, you know, getting in the pool every day and talking to our guests. And this one owner said, oh, I would never want to sit with my guests and talk to my guests. And that just seems so foreign, but that's actually more of the common experience.
0: And also like you had 13,000 people, individual people.
1: Right. Not counting, not counting a 72 or 73% repeat rate. So, so if you came to the hotel, then you would just count as one, even if you came 10 times. So any given weekends, 73% of the guests had been there
3: before. As much as this podcast is about exploring the lives of founders, creators, and entrepreneurs, it's really about stories of finding and building community. And I struggle to think of a better example of community building than Jeff and Judy. Just think about the sheer impact they've had on their guests. They changed lives. They brought people comfort. They gave guests a safe space to just be their natural selves. But to borrow a line from George Harrison, all things must pass. And after 16 years of running Living Waters, 16 years of being professional people people, Jeff and Judy were looking to retire.
1: And so I thought, well, I want to retire around 65, 66, just because... We've had a good run. We want to see what's next in our next phase of life. My new realtor uh, found people that uh, wanted the place to turn it into a, a drug and alcohol rehab facility. So we said yes.
2: And so when it looked like it was really going to be a sure thing, we had about two weeks left. And so we sent out an email to many of our local people and our favorite guests and said you know we've been trying to sell it looks really likely that right after labor day we're shutting our doors if you want one more time here you need to book in the next two weeks or else we're going to probably be gone and so we're pretty full those last two weeks with some of the favorite people in the world and those were lovely 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 visits
1: You know, we had staff over the years, loved our guests. The guests loved them. Uh, and we were, we were truly a community. And
2: I had heard something, too, that a good hotel, the staff knows the names of the guests. In a great hotel, the guests know the names of the staff.
1: So anyway, we actually told guests, look, if you see paintings on the wall, pictures on the wall, if you want a mattress take it always giving back to the community selfishly getting rid of the <laughs> stuff we'd have to throw away or whatever we sold and i have a picture if you want to see it's so me standing by my pick up truck judy had already left the uh, realtor had come and gotten the keys i had the last bit of personal things to bring here to the house and i'm standing by my truck and like this is the last and, uh, it was very bittersweet for me.
0: What would you tell someone who's new to it on how to enter or explore these kinds of things? And what would they, what would you hope they find?
1: I think it was Judy that came up with the phrase, when was the last time you did something for the very first time? Try being nude in a social setting. It'll impact you in a way you've not known. And it doesn't have to be a big resort, or it could be. It could be a small little Airbnb like ours, or it could be a big, big old place or a a nude beach. Try those places because unlike a public beach that might be clothing optional, you could have a lot of looky-loos and, you know, that. Uh, Pick some place that you're comfortable
2: And there's also a difference between a true clothing optional resort and a swinger lifestyles environment and make your choice. But if you don't have an interest in the lifestyle swinger environment, be very careful before you go, because there are some that to the casual eye, when you're looking on the website, you can't tell the difference.
1: And, you know, we're happy that they're there. We're happy that we were here. And um, we have found clothing optional people are the friends you've never met. And when you meet them, you're like, wow, I like those people. Yeah, and don't be afraid of what you look like. Beauty has no expiration date. Regardless of your age, beauty has no expiration date. You're just as beautiful uh, as a 70-year-old or a 50-year-old or a 40-year-old or a 20-year-old. Because beauty comes from the heart. Um, I was born with a hair, lip, and cleft palate. Everybody has things they don't like about themselves. Uh, Judy has had breast cancer. And of course, those of us who are later in years, we have more scars of life that are just natural from life, but they're actually healthy for humans to see. You see uh, a young person, you say, yeah, that's what I used to look like. And then you see a a real senior person and you say, gee, that's where I'm going. And there's mental health to that Uh, because it's going to happen, dang it. You can't avoid it no matter how plastic surgery you get, you're still going to get old. And we have to figure out a way to do that with dignity and honor and grace.
2: And it's easier than you think. You don't have to have any skills. You just give it a try. And for us, the environment of being in a hotel, that if we didn't like, we could walk outside, if we said, this is crazy, so we could put our clothes on and leave. It was not something that couldn't be undone. We had one experience, there was a young guy who came and he really, really wanted to try it. He couldn't sleep the night before. He stayed up all night, he was so worried about it. And he gets to the hotel and he goes, I've got to sleep. I said, no, because if you go in your room, you're still gonna be freaked out. You need to go in your room, take off your clothes, hop in the water for five minutes, then take your nap. But immerse yourself, literally, try it.
3: Saying goodbye to Jeff and Judy, that last sentiment rang in my head. really don't know what's going to happen. But facing new perspectives was what brought Jeff and Judy together in the first place. Sure, there were some bumps in the road. Taking a chance on new experiences was what led to their excommunication from the church. But it set them on the path to dozens of deep friendships they've had over the years and to the wonderful life they shared together. I'm reminded of a quote by Bob Dylan that there is nothing so stable as change. Time means change. And over time, who we are will change and our beliefs will change with us. And I think that I'm feeling that now. I've been doing Finding Founders with my team for over three years. Some like our lead editor, Adrian Tapia, and our lead scriptwriter Elizabeth Bowen, have been here for the majority of that time. And it's been awesome to see them grow, the project grow, the team grow and evolve, but it's also sometimes bittersweet. We recently had one of our writers move on, Elise Caldwell. This is the first script without her, and Jake Wiley is filling her position. He's done a great job so far. But I just wanted to say thank you to Elise and the time she spent here. Her perspective and everything that we've talked about within the context of this podcast and beyond has been enlightening and invigorating. And actually, we got on the phone to debrief about her exit recently, and we talked for 45 minutes about the things she loved, the things she didn't about this org. But what I really stepped away from the conversation with is that she cared, made me happy. And I care so much about this project, about the people involved, and I want it to continue. I want it to evolve. I've been working on some things in the background to get ready to take this project to the next level. Scary, uncertain, and it's also a choice to confront and to embrace these changes. Not everything will work out. We won't all end up where we think we're going, but when our paths take unexpected turns, those are just opportunities to go in new directions. I learned that from Jeff and Judy. And it was a pleasure to stay with them. We stayed the night. We drunk with them. We laughed with them. We were vulnerable with them. Jeff and Judy, thank you. Thank you to Elise. Thank you to all the team leads. Thank you to Agent Tapia, to Elizabeth Bowen. And thank you to everyone listening. And if this podcast has made you feel some sort of way, I'd love to hear from you. Reach out to me, Sam, at findingfounders.co. We'll see you in the next episode. Thank you so much for listening. If you haven't already, make sure to subscribe, rate the podcast five stars, and share with a friend. If you have any questions or comments, DM us at Finding Founders Podcast on Instagram, LinkedIn, or Facebook. Finding Founders is produced and hosted by me, Samuel Donner.
2: Our chief of staff and operations is Jessica Lin. Our audio
3: editing team lead is Adrian Tapia. Support from
2: Irene Van Burkle,
3: Matt Fernandez,
2: Renee Cannon, Sophia Donner, Laura Lynch, Zoe Maddox, Ashley Jimenez.
1: Michael Chung,
2: Nicholas Guzman,
1: Aaron Devereaux,
2: Sanessa Gisley,
1: and Lois Choi.
2: Our Outreach and
0: Research Lead is Kenny Ong,
1: with support from
2: Sarah Hobson, Melody Sopani, Cherise Tan, Jake Wiley, Ibadah Thray,
1: and Mecca Shelton.
0: Our Writing Team Lead is Elizabeth Bowen, with support from Abigail Azridia, Elise Caldwell, Jake Wiley, Jordan Ortiz, and Sanessa Gisley.
3: Our design team lead is Shruti Ramanand, with support from Sorel Amatya, Tiffany Dane,
0: Jonathan Wass,
3: and Diana Marie Kandazer. To see more of what we're up to, subscribe to our newsletter at FindingFounders.co. Thanks again for listening and see you next week.